This evening, Kirk, uh, uh, there was news today that is amongst the scariest that I have heard in a long time. It is uh, it is exactly as I had said it would be uh, four months ago. I'm um, mm-hmm. just overwhelmed that not only has uh, this administration, uh, as well as uh, Republicans, uh, gone along with this nightmare scenario, but that the average American, indeed average person around the world, is completely uh, baffled by what the, uh, the reality is uh, in the events in the Ukraine. Uh, the United States is gloating now that we gave the Ukrainians the location of the Moskva. Uh, that was the pride of the Russian Black Sea Fleet, uh, the largest warship that has been destroyed really since uh, the World War II. World War II, probably, We gave them the coordinates. We're also gloating that we have given them the location of Russian generals who have been killed in battle. We're gloating that we have given them some $30 billion worth of weapons. And Democratic congressmen are, um, are now talking on the news about the fact that we are at war with Russia. For the United States to declare war on Russia, for us to provide $30 billion of weapons to kill Russians, to sink Russian ships, to use the Ukraine as a proxy for war against uh, the nation with the most nuclear weapons in the world is utterly insane. Kirk, if you were to go back mm-hmm. five years ago, before COVID, before the the uh, myth of uh, of the climate change um, and the globalization that results from it, before the degeneration of our currency and economy, before the United States provoked Russia into a war that this administration is gleeful about fighting, prior to all of that, 
I would have said, you know, I do not frankly understand how we can go from where we are to where the world is predicted to be yeah. by uh, the late uh, 2020s into uh, 2033. It didn't mm-hmm. seem possible. It didn't seem possible that we would have to give up on our currency and go to a new electronic currency. Didn't seem possible yeah. that we could really have the global reset that I've been talking about for the past 20 years. Didn't seem possible that we could have a nuclear war. Didn't seem possible that we could destroy our currency and bankrupt our country. But our response to COVID, our taunting of Russia and the desire of this administration to engage in war, all of it puts it now to the point where I would tell you, I don't know how we make it to 2033. I've been thinking the same thing. You you heard about what Russia threatened England with, right? About the uh, hundred milligrams. Whether it's true or not, I can't imagine that it's not. To be honest with you, they they threatened Russia with um, they have a hundred uh, megaton nuclear bomb that's on their uh, missiles, uh, not their on their submarines. They said if we hit into a certain spots along the coastline, it will cause such a tsunami that it will wipe out England. And all I could think about is years ago when you were writing about yeah. uh, something falling down in there and it will cause this great tsunami going eastward and westward. And I'm saying, well, that could just as easily be it. I don't. Yeah. And, and you yep. push them enough and they'll do it. You know, you've There's got Biden and, the, and his uh, son profiting from uh, the Ukraine. And now we know it's, it's for certain that's what occurred. Lied about it uh, um, as well. We have Hillary Clinton having blamed her loss to Trump on the myth of Russian interference. And so you have the Democrats hell-bent on a, on a war on behalf of the Ukraine against Russia. And the Democratic congressmen are actually saying that, you know, we're going to fight tent. this war and we're going to supply uh, a, uh, an unnumbered checkbook, an, a, an open checkbook, for whatever it takes in terms of weapons, so that there is absolute victory. We're using the Ukraine as a proxy. We're not trying to save people in the Ukraine. If we wanted to do that, we would have recognized this as the Cuban Missile Crisis. We would have simply said... You're right. We're not going to make the Ukraine part of NATO. We're going to demilitarize the Ukraine. There's no reason for a war. That's what we would have done, but we did the opposite. We're not the peacemakers. We're the warmongers. Yes. And so what's going to happen? Do you think that the uh, president of, uh, of, the, of, the, of Russia, Putin, is going to say, hey, you know, it's all good yeah, you supplied all the information to sink the pride of our fleet. You supplied the information to kill our generals. You supplied anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles. In fact, you supplied so many weapons that you're now short of them. But we're just going to overlook all of that. We're all going to be buddies in the end. No problem. Hell no. 
We've ignited the fuse for World War III. And in addition to that, we've taken a country that was already bankrupt and we've just absolutely torched it. Worldwide food shortages, runaway inflation worldwide, all because of this comatose administration. And you can't impeach the idiot because the vice president is easily the least qualified person to ever hold that seat. The history of this country. I I cannot even imagine a worse situation than we are in today. The Department of Homeland Security uh, uh, announced that they have exactly what I've said they had, a disinformation agency. Their job is to disseminate disinformation. It's the reason why most Americans are not only just befuddled by what's happened in uh, Ukraine and between the United States and Russia, but are actually supporting the wrong side. Because we have silenced the voice of the Russians, one side, and we're flooding the world with disinformation. Yes, we knew how we now have a department of disinformation. You know that uh, U.S. interest rates hikes are now the uh, the largest in 22 years. Inflation yes, is out of control. We have mm-hmm. literally destroyed our economy, and we did it in just two years. I mean, you gotta give Biden some credit. I mean, he's de- declared war with Russia, a nuclear-armed country. He has destroyed our currency, destroyed our economy, butchered everything associated with uh, COVID destroyed the work ethic in the, uh, in the country, and now he's giving speeches to say that anybody that supported Trump are the most dangerous people in the history of the United States. Well, that's rich. <sighs> it is just... I'm sorry. I don't want to cry. It, is just, it is just stunning how far we have fallen. And it's not just the politicians, the rest of us. Hmm. It's the majority of Americans that have fallen with them. So uh, there is a, a leak out, uh, something that we sent uh, Edward Snowden uh, into hiding in Russia because we threatened him with all manner of, uh, of treasonous uh, uh, attacks because he Mm -hmm. uh, had the good courage and the good sense to uh, tell us that our government was spying on us and and, uh, had no respect for the U.S. Constitution. And uh, and now you have somebody who works in the Supreme Court that has illegally released a a draft of what may end up being a reversal of Roe v. Wade. And there is nobody that's asking for their head. It's a criminal act. It's a far more egregious act than what Snowden, in fact, what Snowden did was heroic. This is the antithesis of it. Now, I've stated my position on abortion uh, many times. Um, I, yeah, I was both pro-life and he is pro-choice. So I am pro-life and I am pro-choice. Um, we have no way of knowing uh, what God's view on this subject is because he didn't state his view, but we can clearly infer that if a 
if an embryo is a fetus is viable, then killing it is taking a life. And anyone who does that on a regular basis is a murderer. Abortion in the third trimester, by most any rational analysis, is murder. And the people who do it, the people who, who ask to have it done, and those who actually do it are murderers. Uh, in the first trimester, it's not viable. Um, and uh, I uh, can certainly see why a, uh, a, you can't call her a mother, but a woman uh, may want to abort. And clearly, bringing a child into the world, as, uh, as they are in so many communities where they're bred just to increase one's uh, income tax credits. We don't call them welfare anymore because now we have income tax credits. Uh, is we'd have a disastrous rise in the population amongst those who who don't have mothers and fathers to care for them. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I understand the free will that's involved in choice in the first trimester. Second trimester is that gray area. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, Roe v. Wade was passed with a 5-4 to four vote. It uh, looks like it's going to be overturned with a 5-4 to four vote. Um, and I would suspect that there will be riots by the uh, the left as a uh, as a result. Uh, and it's too bad that we just can't find a reasonable and rational ground on this. But it is uh, it is one more way that the country is being split right down its core. What other uh, uh, stories in the news were you following, Kirk? Well, mostly it's just uh, the the demise of the dollar. You know, you mentioned it a little earlier. They uh, they want to get rid. They'll be uh, if you have gold, silver. If you, I don't know anything about Bitcoin to be honest with you, but the, they're going electronic. Cash will go away, uh, so that gives them more opportunity to look at every transaction you make. Uh, yeah, of course, completely have total control and, uh, over you, which means they can they can yeah. uh, stop your ability to. Uh, access your own money. They can deplete your bank accounts. They uh, yes, uh, they can monitor everything that you uh, do uh, with electronic mm-hmm. currency. The government has complete do. control. Yep, yeah. and that's what they're uh, intending that's, to do. That's, that's frightening. Yeah, you know, we are we're moving to a period very quickly, and by 2030 Passover, we will be there because Yahweh is doing something he has never done in all of human history. He's empowering two messengers, and those two messengers will speak like no one has ever spoken. They will speak in every language of the world. No matter what language they speak, it will be heard in the language of the people that are listening to them. They will be uh, pervious to attack. Uh, Their response will be lethal to those who attack them. And uh, and I think that, you know, who's doing it and making these people visible the world over because um, the libertards are going to have absolute control over the media mm-hmm. and what can and cannot be said. So I think that the days for Yada Yawa between now it's 2022 that we're uh, broadcasting this particular message and probably 2029. We probably have seven years left. I hope they uh, at least have that. Yes. yes, of uh, dissemination of this information freely, at which time 
uh, that will no longer be the case, and the only witnesses on behalf of Yahweh will be uh, Elia and likely Yada um, for the three years between uh, 2030 and 2033 when Yahweh returns. And it's going to be a very small crowd. So if you are a Yehudim and you are listening to us uh, tonight, uh, by the way, our outreach is to the United Kingdom, uh, we hope that you choose to return to Yahweh. This is the the statement, Kirk, that uh, we were on when our program came to a conclusion last week. It is in Yermaya. Mm -hmm. It's Yermaya 1.5. And what we're sharing is the last chapter of Volume 3 of an introduction to God. An introduction to God, oh goodness, I probably wrote 10, 12 years ago. And it was a single volume. It was uh, designed at the time to help my son, who was dating some young lady that uh, was a marginal Roman Catholic. And he said, you know, could you kind of summarize how many times I've been asked this? Could you summarize? No. What you have learned? He came, by the way, to the address with uh, his current girlfriend, who I think he really does uh, like a lot. Um, he was just overwhelmed by the uh, the volumes of yada yada. And, and, I, and I have them everywhere. But when you... Uh, uh, come and, uh, and visit, uh, you're going to see shelves <laughs> that are, uh, like in my office, I have uh, four or five full sets of uh, yada yada. Um, it's my life, uh, so I'm surrounded, uh, I'm surrounded by it. Uh, but uh, an introduction to God was written to help to explain uh, where we go to find the oldest manuscripts, the nature of the Hebrew language and how we go about translating it, the unique nature of Hebrew stems, which are relational. They talk about the relationship between the subject and the object of the verb. Uh, the Hebrew <laughs> conjugations, which talk about ongoing or completed actions. The Hebrew moods, which often talk about volition and, and, the, and the will of the, of the speaker, the <laughs> will of the person mm-hmm. being spoken to or a third person. Uh, that it is a language that is uh, unconstrained by time, uh, so there is no past, present, and future tense. And how the language uh, is as it now reads in, in modern Hebrew, uh, of the 22 letters, there were five vowels. Um, the Mesoretic vowel pointing was a waste of time. Um, the Yod, the, uh, the He, the Wa, the Ain, and the Aleph are all uh, vowels in Hebrew. And it explains all of that. It explains how to explain how to pronounce Yahweh's name, uh, and uh, um, how we go about translating His testimony. Well, it grew because our knowledge has grown to three very long volumes. Uh, the longest, I think, is like 750 pages. Um, and this is the last chapter of the third volume of Yada Yah. <laughs> now. What brought us to this initially was the realization that every place we turned, every place, throughout the Torah, throughout the Mizmor Psalms of Dod, throughout the prophets, God is consistently telling his people that in the end, they're going to be so lost that he was given no other alternative but to communicate his message through a goy. And that, that goy, he 
depending on on when he's talking about him, is either one of the four Zoroa. He is a knacker, an observant and responsive foreigner. He is a choder, a sucker growing from the old rootstock. He is a basar, a uh, a messenger, a herald, if you will. He's even referred to as a malak, which is a uh, messenger of, of God's spiritual testimony. He's not a prophet, and he clearly is not a Israelite. Every place we turn, we see God speaking of this individual, mm-hmm. recognizing that for the better part of, of 2,500 years, there hasn't been a single Yehud, not a single Yehud willing to listen to Yahweh, to engage with him, to share his testimony with his people. And so God was given no choice but to use a goyim. And that's where we are. And so we're sharing this word with you on behalf of Yahweh to his people, Yisrael and Yahudah. So Yirmiyah 1.5 reads, And so now, the word, the bar, of Yahweh sickens me, Kirk, when mm-hmm. I see Jews write G-D, can't even say God for crying out loud, and God's not even a name. There isn't a single religious Jew anywhere, or a progressive Jew anywhere, that's willing to say Yahweh's name. That reminds me of something in the news. The foreign minister of Russia came out and said something this week that caused uh, Jews uh, everywhere to have a conniption fit. He was asked, how is it possible that the president of the Ukraine is Jewish, and yet uh, there's neo- your claim that, that he supports neo-Nazis? And so foreign minister of Russia said, that's... Not surprising. For a very long time, Jews have been the most aggressive anti-Semites, the worst anti-Semites. He said, I even believe that Hitler had Jewish blood. Mm -hmm. Well, here's the truth. Progressive Jews in America, liberal Jews in America, are grossly anti-Semitic. It's about half of the Jewish population in America that are exceedingly anti-Semitic, anti-Israel, anti-Jew. It's just the truth. We don't know if uh, Hitler had uh, Jewish blood or not. There is more evidence in favor of it than against it. Um, the Hitler was afraid that he did. He hired a gentleman to go check the uh, 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 check the records in Austria in the town that he was born uh, to determine whether or not one of his uh, grandmothers or grandfathers were Jewish. The individual who was tasked with this wrote a book, and he called Hitler and told the world that he had done what he was asked to do, and he verified that Hitler did have Jewish blood, that his grandfather 
was Jewish. And Hitler's response was that he destroyed, it was a town in Austria, I think mm-hmm. the only town in Austria that the Third Reich destroyed. There's no motivation for him to destroy the town unless he was trying to destroy those records. Everything in it. Yes. So that's the history that we have. There's been DNA evidence uh, that has been analyzed from Hare, from uh, a number of his uh, descendants, and uh, it uh, is more likely than not. But the left is just apoplectic over this issue. And so they're trying to it's, – it's very much like uh, – the, uh, the news where, where somebody will say, uh, well, you know, uh, it's been proven that the election was not fraudulent. No, it hasn't. But every single journalist will say that. And so in this case, every single journalist will say, oh, it's been – it's a uh, uh, fact of uh, history that has been reputed. No, it hasn't. Yes. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that Muhammad – was Jewish. Pretty hard to find a greater anti-Semite. The greatest anti-Semite of all time Paul. is Paul. Yeah. He was clearly Jewish. Yeah, Heck, no joke. The Christian Jesus is an anti-Semite. And he's Jewish. If you read what, what is attributed to Jesus and Matthew is an anti-Semite. If you want to know the people who are most aggressive against Yahweh's name, Shem means name, mm-hmm. the rabbis, they've outlawed it. It's true. The most horrible anti-Semites in the world are Jewish. But we just can't process that kind of information because it's not comfortable with us. So... We have condemned Russia as being anti-Semitic when, in fact, they told us the truth. You know, the fact is that if you look at the militias that were killing Russians in Donbass and Lonovsk in the eastern part of the Ukraine, they were neo-Nazis. There was a higher percentage of armed Nazis, anti-Jews, in the Ukraine than there were in 1920 in Germany. Their symbols are everywhere. You know, the Ukraine is the, is the least deserving nation on the planet to defend. To be defended. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to know the truth. Listen, uh, I'm, no buddy, about? I'm no buddy of, uh, of uh, Putin. He, for all I know, is a uh, narcissist. He uh, could be psychotic. Uh, I, I don't know. He may be an empath. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I do know this, that we have provoked this war, and there is no turning back. It's going to lead to World War III, and we brought it on ourselves, and we have no business defending the Ukraine, sending them our weapons, or going to war against Russia. It was asinine. All right. And so now the word of Yahweh came to literally and consistently exist as God to me. In order to say, in the period before I formed you, 
I knew you in the womb. Where I read to the end of this. The first thing I'd like to share is that with we read Ezekiel, one of the first things, mm-hmm. well, even in Daniel, he is admitting that he is a student of the prophets. That he came to know what was going to happen based upon reading the prophets. Mm-hmm. Now, if a prophet tells you that he's reading the prophets so that he knows what's going to happen, since there's only 40 people who have been a prophet, and there hasn't been one in 2,500 years, it's probably a really good idea for the rest of us who are clearly not prophets to do the same thing. <laughs> the same thing. Just yes. a clue there. Uh, good, now, good clue. how does Yahweh know somebody before they're born? How does that happen? <clears throat> Where he, yeah, well, he lives in a different time. He lives outside of time and space. So. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, I was not constrained by time. He and our past can witness our future. He's not predestining us to destroy ourselves. He just yeah. says that's what you do. I, I saw the way you reacted to COVID. I talked to you about pandemics and plagues of death. I saw what you did to your economy. That's why I told you about it. I saw what you did in terms of invoking nuclear war. And I'm telling you about it. He just reported in our, in our past what he has witnessed in our future. Same thing is true with Yermia. The reason it's a big deal with Yermia is that there are so few. It's always been the case. You know, at any one time, maybe a half a dozen, maybe a dozen, Sometimes maybe 20 mm-hmm. people yeah. are receptive to you. Most of human history, the number of people at any one time that know Yahweh or open to him, receptive to what he is offering, willing to engage with him, varies from zero to one. And so the very fact that Yerma Yah was willing to listen to Yah and to speak on behalf of Yah made him so unique that God said, I knew you before you were born. That also means that there's something about this that resonate, should resonate with everybody, which is that if Yahweh knew Yermayah before Yermayah was born, who initiated the relationship? Of course he did. Yahweh. When... No. Dode was out there in Bethlehem tending sheep, and he was the eighth of uh, eight sons, and Yahweh went through mm-hmm. the others. Who initiated the relationship? Go after that guy. He's down there in Bethlehem tending sheep. Would you please go after him? That's the one I want. Who do you no think reached thing. out to Abraham on the, on the road to Haran, away from yes. Babylon? Yahweh. How do you think that uh, Noach came to receive the instructions on how to build a ark. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. Yeah. It, all the way through. Yahweh picks the people he wants to work with. I think it is in our interest to study the character, the personality, the response. Look at Moshe. Moshe was in uh, Arabia 
tending sheep in one of the most desolate places on earth. I mean, you talk about God forsaken. He was there. And Yahweh lights up the top of the mountain and says, Hey, you, Moses, Moshe, who initiated that relationship? What sure Moses said, no. God, I want to serve you. No, I'm too old. No. I don't want to do this. No. I ain't going there. So, God chooses the people he wants to work with. We can look at the life of Moses. I mean, here he was in the lap of luxury and in Mitzrayim, and he is part of Pharaoh's household. He's, I mean, you couldn't have it better. Yeah, one of the two or three superpowers in the world, and he's in the top three or four people in that country. The entire country is, exists of his servants, including the Egyptians. And yet he goes out and he sees a guard beating a slave and he risks it all stand in the way between that guard the slave driver and the slave to stop the slave driver from beating the slave to death and in the process of trying to stop him he kills him that's character that's being moral Moshe is an extraordinary individual. There isn't one in a million people that would do that. So this is a guy that's willing to stand up, to go against the crowd, to do the right thing regardless of the consequence. And boy, you listen to what Moshe said in the body. He's brilliant. He's articulate. So character counts with God. Having a backbone, being willing to stand up, not being wishy-washy. Being bright, being articulate, being a quick debatim, and you know that what Yahweh told Moshe, he went from knowing to understanding. Mm -hmm. Same thing was true with Dote. So that's why this man was chosen to represent Yahweh as a prophet even before he was born. And in the time before the, you were brought out of the womb of a loving mother and the point of origin, I set you apart as a prophet, Anambi, to the people of different races and places. You are my gift. It's the only place. Yeah. You know, there's 40 prophets and, and both men and women. It's the only place where Yahweh says, I have commissioned you. I have set you apart as a prophet to the Goyim. That's pretty extraordinary. Now, well, I, in, in, I, go ahead. No, I made I made a note when I read it, and I'm saying, you know, um, not only is that extraordinary, it's just uh, where are all the sermons of the people listening to Yermiah, mm-hmm. <laughs> all to go away world. That's they thank Paul. 
was sent right. to exchange, fix the and I think you make that point later too. But yeah. I don't want to steal your thunder. Isn't but yeah, Paul the guy that said that I have been made the uh, I, the uh, I go to the world the, uh, the, the apostle to the uh, Gentiles? Mm-hmm. Well, God is saying no. Do we need another one. It's your no, I have one. I have yeah, made right you the prophet to the Gentiles, and then he proved it. And so Paul is claiming what God has clearly given to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you are the prophet to the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that Jeremiah is trying to solicit Gentiles. doesn't mean that Jeremiah has replaced, or Yahweh has replaced Yehudim with Gentiles, because all the way through, the primary subject of this uh, prophetic book remains Yisrael and Yehuda. Mm-hmm. The most important pronouncement in it is Jeremiah 31, where Yahweh is saying that I'm going to reestablish my covenant relationship with Yisrael and with Yehuda. So how can he be the prophet of the Gentiles? to the Gentiles, not of the Gentiles, but to the Gentiles, a gift to the Gentiles, if the subject remains Yahuda. Same way to get there. How? Because yes. yes. Because if you are a Gentile, a Goy, I'm a Goy, Mm -hmm. you're a Goy. Yes, me too. Lots of Goys out there. A lot of Goys out there. If you're a Goy and you want to have a relationship with Yahweh, it has to be exactly as he described it through Moshe to Yisrael. If you want to be part of the reestablishment, the reaffirmation of the covenant, then you have to be part of Yisrael and Yahudah. You can't be opposed to them. If you want to understand Yahweh, you need to understand his relationship with Yisrael and Yahudah and his love for Yisrael and Yahudah. So the best way that Yahweh can communicate to the Goyim is to speak to the Goyim about Yisrael, the bad, the ugly, and the reconciliation. You are my gift. Is that not true with every prophet? I, I look at Dod as being a gift. I look at Noach as being a gift. I look at Moshe as being a gift. Shamuel is a gift. Yashiyah. Oh, what a gift. Wow. What a, yeah, what a deal with him. Yeah. Zachariah is a gift. Malachi is a gift. Every time Yahweh reveals the future through a prophet, it is a gift. You are my gift. We ought not discount what the prophets say when Yahweh says that you are my prophet and you are my gift. Now, those who appreciate the nature of light realize that Yahweh can witness the past and the future simultaneously. It's one of the great joys that we're going to have when we are um, increased in capacity from being three-dimensional to seven. And God literally telescopes time as he sees fit. He has, therefore, witnessed our future and reported in our past what he has seen so that we would be prepared 
so that we would recognize that we can trust it. Those are the two reasons for prophecy. Listen, the world is literally disintegrating. The world is at war. And this time it's at war between two nations that have a nuke, enough nuclear weapons to literally destroy the earth a hundred times over. That's where we are. Our currencies have been destroyed. Our economies have been destroyed. The credibility of even science has been destroyed with the way that we responded to COVID and deprived people of their livelihoods and liberties. Disinformation reigns. Enormous constraints on free speech. It's all true. And it is falling apart at a record pace. And so if you are not attuned to what's happening, then you're going to be among the casualties. So God shared prophetic testimony for two reasons, so that we wouldn't be blindsided, so that if we kept an open mind and open eyes and open ears to what he said, we would know exactly what's going to occur. How else do you think it is possible that I could have explained the proper and improper response to COVID when no one else was able to do so three years ago mm-hmm. and get it all right. How do you think that the moment we were taunting Russia about the Ukraine, that I could say, this is what's going to happen and how it's happening and get it right when no one else could. The reason is really simple. I study the prophets. I listen to Yah. I know what he says is going to happen. And so when I witness it happening, it's very easy to report to you what he has conveyed. The Great Reset, even before the term was coined. Mm-hmm. All of it. The destruction of our currency. It is because God has told us what's going to occur over these next, what, 11 years. Not a surprise. Second is that there was once upon a time, and, and there are many of you who are listening and now that will benefit from what's, what I once benefited from. And that is a constant barrage of affirmations of God explaining what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and why it's going to happen. And then we witness it happen. And you have the Dead Sea Scrolls that, that date to two and three hundred and fifty years BCE. And now the, this lead tablet, uh, out of Israel that dates back to 1400 BCE, constantly affirming this is what God said, and then you witness it occur in history, both past and present. And so what God wants us to know is that the reason we can trust him is that he alone can consistently predict the future because he is not predicting it, but simply reporting future history. And each time he does it, when he does it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and each time it comes true exactly as he said, 
the only rational and informed conclusion is that we can trust what his prophets like Yirmiyah are revealing. Now, I said this was something, Kirk, that was once meaningful to me and it no longer is. Mm-hmm. You know why that's the case? We totally trust him, rely on him now. And you've, you've yeah, seen I know all. him so well. I know him so well. Uh, the yeah. last thing I need is more proof. Yeah. I mean, he's my dad. Case, case, he's my, case he's closed. He's my boss. He's <laughs> my friend. He's my inspiration. He's my God. He's my father. He is all those things. I mean, we have a dynamic day-to-day relationship. It's it's just like okay, I'm going to take a sip of uh, of this coffee out of a glass. Do I need proof that I'm holding a glass and that there's coffee in it after I've had half of it already? No. But if you're just coming to know Yahweh, then it's all there for you. Yeah, That's the in. reason there. Are, yeah our 25 volumes and growing is that all of these prophecies and understand that prophecy isn't just about the future. It's always also about the past and for God to get every aspect of creation, right? Including the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Ought to be affirming. You ought to trust him. You ought to go. Yeah. Yeah. What are the odds of that? Yeah. Yes. Now, this proclamation differs from the introduction to Yashaya, my favorite prophet. It's hard to say my favorite prophet. I feel almost bad because I, uh, I've got a thing for Moshe. Yeah. It used to be Dode. And listen, I, first person I want to look up in eternity is, is Dode. I've, I've had a bromance with Dode for a long time. But, you know, with the Dode, I am just so glad that uh, he gets all the responsibility, and I'm a nobody in, uh, in eternity. That, for me, is entirely pleasing. So I don't want to get too close to, to Dode for fear of being put <laughs> to work. Put you to work. So, you know, I'm going to yeah. say, hey, man, I, I'm I impressed. i got a couple of jobs by you. Yeah, <laughs> good job. Wish you all the best. Give me a call if you need me. <laughs> See you on <laughs> the course. You, you, got it under, you got it under control. Uh, Moshe, oh, my goodness. What a... 40 years of herding cats. Can you imagine trying <laughs> to direct yeah. all those Jews across the uh, the desert? No. Well, I mean, but uh, dude had it uh, together. But, you know, you you look at them and you, then you look at, at, uh, at Yashaya, and Yashaya has got the attitude. He's... Uh, he is just in our face about what's going to happen, why it's going to happen in our future. So he, he's probably my, uh, my favorite uh, prophet. Uh, so it's important to know that this proclamation differs from what is said in the introduction to Yeshia, and, and it's, it differs in two very meaningful ways, one of which I think is particularly relevant. Not only is it vastly more personal, it identifies Yermiah as Yahweh's chosen witness to the Goyim, the people from different mm-hmm. races and places. Yashiyah's introduction was written to Yehudim in Israel, specifically addressed to Yahweh's wayward children. In Yashiyah, both the repulsively religious and the Goyim were presented as adversarial and destined to die. 
Therefore, we should not be surprised that we find denunciations of Babylon and religion throughout this book, including the use of Lord along with a covert, I mean, the, the condemnations yeah. of Christianity and of uh, Easter and Christmas and the New Testament and the Madonna and Child and the Queen of Heaven. I mean, they are ubiquitous through Yermia. He denounces Christmas and Easter and uh, Christianity and um, <laughs> the Mother of God. He, yeah, in that way, he's speaking directly to the Gentiles, saying, your religion is stupid. Now, this perspective regarding the intended audience of this book ought to have caused the whole world to pause because of what it portends. It means that Yahweh's angry rant against the religious establishment throughout the 23rd chapter of this prophetic pronouncement, with its crescendo being the scheme which replaced Yahweh's name with the Lord, was directed at Gentiles and thus at Christians, not just Jews. The same conclusion is valid regarding the revelation that the covenant has not yet been renewed. And that when it is, the renewed covenant will be predicated on a literal and complete incorporation of the Torah into our lives. That may be the single most profound prophetic revelation of all. Mm-hmm. That the one prophet that actually speaks of the renewal of the covenant says that its reaffirmation will be based upon a wholesale integration of the Torah into our lives. Well, if you've got half a brain, even a quarter of a brain, that means that there is a 0% possibility that Christianity is true. Mm-hmm. On a related subject, Yermiah, Jeremiah, was actually what Shaul, Paul, falsely claimed. That's what we shared minutes yeah, ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. To, yep. Yeah, he was God's witness cool. to the Gentiles. In this That's way, Yah's chosen prophet told us what we should Reject everything Babel's false prophet Paul had to say. Here, here. You know, wow. Christians carry around Jeremiah in their Bibles. Why can't they read yeah. it? Now, returning oh, to this introduction for a moment, we find that, like Moshe, Yermiah was a reluctant witness. He thought he was too young. Yeah, with Moshe, he thought he was too old. And he perceived himself as anything but a linguist. Boy, am I ever glad to hear that. My wife laughs at me all the time for my inability to speak foreign words. And I say, I've got nothing against foreign words. I don't even speak English words all that clearly. (laughs) Don't look at me. (laughs) If if the criterion for working with Yahweh was, uh, was perfect diction, There'd be a whole lot of us. (laughs) We'd be living. Off to early retirement. Moshe being the first of them, Yermiah being among them. So perfect diction is not a criterion that Yahweh sees as important. (laughs) Thanks, Yah. Yes. And 
there are some good things there. One is that there's a lot of slick-talking people that sound wonderful, believable, mm-hmm. incredible, seductive. God's not looking for that. He's looking for the person whose testimony is accurate. It is correct. It's biting. It's divisive. It's not sweet-sounding. He's not trying to be seductive. He's trying to be accurate. And the other reason is that it's not the great orator that Yah was looking for. It's somebody who is inquisitive, open-minded, um, who is devoted to evidence and reason. And so Yermia said, oh, my diction's not so good. You can find somebody, surely, that's better than me. You know, Moshe was 80 at the time he was called to serve. Yermia was but a teenager. Therefore, we can assume that while age is irrelevant to Yah, I tell my wife that all the time, that I don't even know how old I, I am, but I stopped counting at uh, 50, so I must be right around 50 years old. Yeah, and nice. I, I totally feel logical. more like, you know, except the days that I'm out working with the crew, I feel more like 40. Uh, so from God's point of view, it's irrelevant no matter how young or old you may be, we're all invited to proclaim his word. The recognition that we are flawed implements is a common trait among all effective witnesses. One six, and I said, alas, this cannot be uh, well, my upright one. Look, I do not know how to speak appropriately because I am a teenager. So then Yahweh spoke as God to me. You should not say I am young because everyone whom for the sake of the relationship I'm going to send you, you should go. And then everything for which for the basis of this relationship I instruct you, you should consistently speak. When we tell God, I'm too young, I'm too old, my tongue is thick, I'm not eloquent, can surely find somebody better than me, what the hell do you think you're doing? Do you think that the God who is smart enough to create the universe in six dimensions and conceive life using DNA is an incompetent boob who can't determine who he wants to work with? I mean, what are you thinking, Yermaya? The creator God of the universe saying, you're my guy, and you're going to tell him, no, 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 you can find somebody else. I, I'm not qualified. So you're smarter than Yah? I mean, I understand the humility thing. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in my case, when I, and I'm not asked to be a prophet, so it's a whole different level, but God wanted a, a, a witness in the last day to his people. And when God said, I, you know, I want you to do this, you know, my first response was, yeah, but I'm not qualified. And, oh, by the way, 
everybody else who has done what you're asking is either dead or somewhere in a hole hiding. <laughs> Just thought and, I'd bring it up, yeah. Yeah, this, this doesn't sound like a really good idea. <laughs> Just, just saying. Yeah, just saying. And so, how do I really know it's you that, and who is you, that it's God who is uh, is asking? Because I, you know, that really does make a difference. Uh, you know, so at least I didn't say, get, get that clear. Hey, you know, I'm I'm a a dunderhead. Don't uh, don't speak very clearly and have no uh, uh, competence at all. You're an idiot for having chosen me. I, I might have thought that. Good thinking. Let's <laughs> not articulate. Let's not bring no, that up. I thought, no, I didn't say it. Good you know, Good it was thinking. more, if you can demonstrate to me that you are who you are, then, uh, then I, I'm open to talk so long as, uh, as we can negotiate a couple of crown rules here. <laughs> and that's as far as I pushed it. And he quickly proved that he was who he said he was, and we went on, and best best decision I ever made in my life. I'm not sure that, looking back at it now, I'm not sure that uh, there was really all that much free will in it. And you might say that's really unfair, but it, it isn't really unfair. There was nobody else. Yeah. This was a job by default. Because of the fact there was nobody else at the time 20 years ago. And hasn't been anyone else for most of the time since that time. Uh, and there have, we're growing now as a covenant family. But it's, even as a covenant family, there's not a whole lot of folks that want to take the lead and put up their head and, and take the risks that are associated with this job. And, or even devote the amount of time that's necessary to do this job. And, and so you come to realize that, that because there's nobody else, God was not going to take no for an answer. He couldn't. Do you think that God would, was going to take no for an answer with Moshe? I mean, Moshe tried everything he had to tell God, no, get somebody else. God wasn't about to take no for an answer because there was nobody else. The same thing was true with Dode. Uh, there was nobody else. The same thing was true with Noah. There was nobody else. same thing was true with, at this point with Yermia. There was nobody else. So you can complain all you want. It's not going to do you any good. It, at that point, he does happen to be God. And he knows what he has to have to honor the promises he's made to his people. And, you know, if he wants to work with you, first of all, why fight it? He's God. He's fun to be around. There are no monetary rewards, but the intangibles the the eternal rewards are extraordinary so age is neither a liability nor an excuse when working with god our eloquence does not matter yeah was really good with words he's been around a long while and he's uh, been very effective and consistent communicating his message moshe who claimed to be ineloquent became the most brilliant orator the world has ever known. And Dode, who began working with God at eight, was slain giants shortly thereafter. 
While a witness to the prophets, I was not too young in my 40s, nor too old now in my 60s. Don't tell my wife that. No. To share the word of God with his people. With his response, Yahweh is also revealing that the prophet's words are his. He would direct Yermiah's footsteps, his lips. What we read in the text of Yermiah, as was the case in Moshe, as is the case with Yashiah, God inspired. Now, speaking of the Gentiles generally and of what Babel represents specifically, Yahweh said, you should not be frightened by their presence because I am indeed, I am indeed with you to deliver and defend you, prophetically declares Yahweh. And Yahweh reached out his hand and he touched me on my mouth. Then Yahweh said to me, Behold, I have bestowed and placed my words in your mouth. I guess that's the first thing that you have to overcome. Moshe didn't want to go back to Mitzrayim because, well, they were trying to hunt him down and kill him. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Dode, when, uh, when Shaul, Saul, was trying to kill him, was, was not very comfortable with that situation. He wasn't comfortable when the Philistines were trying to kill him. Um, it is a, uh, an uncomfortable place to be when you recognize that to speak for Yahweh, most of the world is going to be against you. Much of the world is going to threaten you. You've got to get to a place in your life where you just don't care what anybody else has to say. That you're going to speak for Yahweh regardless. And doesn't matter whether or not the people you're speaking to capitalize on what you have to say or not. You're just going to do what's right. And so with Yermiah, he touched his mouth and Yermiah's words became Yahweh's words. Now that's not the case with every prophet. I think to a large degree, uh, Dode uh, was inspired mentally so that Yahweh uh, placed his uh, spirit on Dode, anointed him in his spirit at eight years old, and uh, Dode was inspired to, uh, to have that understanding and to convey his lyrics. Mm-hmm. I think that Yahweh personally taught Moshe to the point that Moshe came to understand and therefore could speak for Yahweh. But for most of us, it's about taking the time to read and study and observe and consider the Torah and the prophets and putting the pieces together to understand God so that our perspective is shared with him, so that we appreciate the covenant as he does, that we are guided by the Torah's teaching, that we understand the purpose of the Mikre. And, and by doing those things, we can be correct with God and we can speak boldly and bluntly about what God wants because 
Well, we're speaking in a manner that's consistent with his testimony. This is where Paul went astray. His every word was inconsistent with God's testimony, and yet he claimed to be an apostle. What we have tried to do consistently throughout yada yada is to translate God's message as clearly and as accurately and as completely as possible, and then make the connections between other things God has said to enhance understanding. It's a little different way of coming to this same place, that our words become what Yahweh wants to convey. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some perks associated working with Yahweh, even if they cannot be itemized on a financial statement. And while some of the most extraordinary include, well, eternal life is a pretty nice reward, all in all. Uh, Being perfected by the best is pretty cool. By the way, I'm translating uh, now uh, in Debatim 18. And in Debatim 18, after Moshe articulates the whole long list of religious things that God abhors. He says that, uh, come to be with me such that you are correct and perfected. The whole idea of, of the covenant isn't that we become perfect on our own initiative, but that we come to God and that with Yahweh, we allow him to perfect us. So that is one of the benefits of this job. Of anybody who is Torah observant, who answers the invitation, who accepts the conditions of the covenant, is we are perfected by God. We are perfected by God by being right. The third benefit is we're adopted into his family. Pretty darn good. I don't know if there, in fact, I'm quite certain there is no better family to be adopted into. Right. Mm -hmm. We're empowered. We're enriched. We're enlightened by God. Um, We're emboldened by God. Now, I have, for example, vociferously criticized the world's religions, political agendas, military engagements, nations and conspiracies, even history's most beloved individuals. And I've never hesitated, never cowered, never wavered, never ducked. Confidence and courage, along with a spirit of adventure, of exploration, a desire to learn and then share, are among the attributes that we gain in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Yahweh's message continues to affirm that everything we read in this prophetic book, which is in Yermayah, uh, was inspired by God. And while that is reassuring for those who love him and who respect his Torah, it's devastating news for Yisraelite institutions and for Goyim nations, particularly those influenced by Babel, 
which would be all of Christianity. Addressing Yahweh's teaching, the first of 11 times that Torah appears in Yirmiyah. You might say, why do I care about how many times Torah appears in Yirmiyah? This is the last chapter of an introduction to God. And the introduction to God concludes in volume three with what the prophets have to say about the Torah. And the reason it does that is it dispels this notion in rabbinic Judaism that the Talmud has somehow replaced the Torah and is more vital in Jewish life. It annuls the concept of a New Testament in Christianity because if Yisrael and the Torah are still central to Yahweh's plans as he returns in year 6000, yeah, 2033, then nothing else really matters. And so we are going to continue along that theme. We're going to look at each of the 11 times that Torah appears in Yirmiyah, Jeremiah. The first is the eighth statement in the second chapter. There we find Yahweh revealing his frustration with the religious establishment. It reads, The priests have not asked, Where and under what circumstances should we expect to find Yahweh? Because those who have seized control over the Torah do not know me. So the shepherds have revealed against me, and they have become offensive. Even the prophets, those claiming to speak for God, convey a revelation in conjunction with the Lord Baal. But then afterwards, they do not themselves value or follow the way. Yermiah, rise up to Yah, Jeremiah 2.8. Damn. Mm-hmm. The priests. These are the people that Yahweh specifically told throughout the Torah, this is your job. Okay? I have set you apart as special. I have a specific job for you, and it is to work on my behalf and on the people's behalf relative to two things. The invitations to meet so that they understand the purpose and can benefit from the seven Moed Mikre. All of the symbolism related to my family home, which has to do with the covenant, and I want you to help resolve disputes based upon my Torah guidance and teaching. Those are the things I've asked you to do. I don't want you to be distracted with money because you're not getting any. I don't want you to be distracted with land owners because you ain't getting any. Just do this job your reward is going to be to live forever with me if you focus on this job. That's what he asked them. And what did the priest do? Starting with... Turned everything Aaron. backwards. Yeah, they did everything backwards. They became religious. He walked away. And so now they're saying... And the, the priests today are the rabbis. The rabbis have usurped oh, yeah. their the authority oh, yeah. of the priest. And so they're saying, where and under what circumstances would we expect to find Yahweh? They don't know. 
there isn't a rabbi alive who will say Yahweh's name. They despise it. They have no clue where to look for Yahweh. They would for their hyphen in the middle of G-D. And they don't see that as any Shemitic behavior? How else could you call it? What does Shem mean name. in Hebrew? Shem only name. means one thing in Hebrew. Name. Name. Anti-name. What name? Well, it sure is Shem. 7,000 times. Yahweh. Yeah, no. it ain't Shem. It ain't Rabbi. Yahweh. 7,000 times. To Yahweh. So, where would we find Yahweh? What, you know why they don't know? Because he doesn't exist in their the Torah. Talmud. He That's doesn't right. exist in their Talmud. And they wrote him out of their Torah. They wrote him out of their lives. Because those who have seized power and control over the Torah. How did they receive power over the Torah? They edited it. They changed it. They will replace it with their Talmud. And Jews, like Paul, replaced it with their New Testament. Likely Muhammad, by the way, was also a, uh, a Jew. Replaced it with the Quran. So the shepherds, those Ra'ah, those leading the flock, have rebelled against me and become offensive. How did they rebel against him? Read this in context. We don't know where to find Yahweh. God's saying, Yahweh's saying, that's how they rebelled against me. Removing Yahweh from his Torah, from his people, is rebellion against God. I dare you to consider those two statements juxtaposed and come to any other conclusion than removing Yahweh's name from his testimony, not even knowing where to find him, is defined by God as rebellion against him. Pasha Ba'ani. They are in open defiance, breaking away from me to expand their power, to become indignant and revolting by transgressing against me. No greater crime. Had Jews recognized Yahweh's name in the first century CE, they would have recognized the Passover lamb. There would have been no Christianity. There would have been no Rabbi Akiba, no Bar Kokhba, no Roman assault on Yahuda, no Disporum, no Dispora, no pogroms, no um, abuse by the Roman Catholic Church, no Inquisitions, no, no Catholic Church, no. no Catholic Church, none of it. If they had only respected Yahweh's name and not revolted against them and come to recognize the work of the Passover lamb. None of it would have existed. If rabbis in Yathrib in 600 CE had shared Yahweh's name 
rather than their God-forsaken Talmud stories, there would have been no Islam, no Allah, no Quran, no Allah-u-Akbar, no Islamic terrorists. These are the consequences of what they have done. And then what God says is then stunningly biting if your mind is open to the truth. The Lord, Baal, is Satan. The Lord is Satan. The prophets, those claiming to speak for God, convey a revelation in conjunction with Baal, the Lord, Satan. That means the rabbis and their Talmud are speaking for Satan. That means Paul and his books that he inspired and wrote are odes to Satan. It means the Quran is an ode to Satan. That Satan has become the god of religion. You don't think so. Why don't you read what happened when Yashaya, not Yashaya, uh, 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 Elia, Elijah, Elia, confronted the uh, the priests of Asherah and Baal. Asherah is the queen of heaven and the mother of God, the Madonna in Roman mm-hmm. Catholicism. And uh, the Lord is the God of both Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. What happened when Elia confronted them? He accused the, their God of being Satan. And Yahweh said, every one of those priests I want you to kill. So it's the same as the pastors today in Christianity, the priests of Roman Catholicism. They're going to experience the same fate with Yahweh as did the priests that tried to foist the Lord on the people back in the days of Elia. May I interrupt for one second? Just just to that point, I'm looking at the... uh, at a lexicon, not a lexicon, but in a literary, and in this very verse in English, it's got the Hebrew underneath it, and for the Lord is vowel-pointed, Yahweh, and the number, of course, is uh, 3068, is Yahweh. Yeah. Uh, they know it. And they, yes. they, they know that you have to twist Lord, you have to vowel-point the heck out of it to come up with right. Adonai, or, I mean, they print oh, it no, out in not, English. Not, so. Adonai is not uh, it's a it's a blatant yeah. replacement. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's just it's, yeah, I, I get you. There's no, but I mean, it's right here. There's no right L, here for there's anybody no LF. to see. You don't have to, yeah, there is. There's no LF in Yahweh. Yeah. No. There's no Delet in mm-hmm. Yahweh. There's no none in Yahweh. Adonai, mm-hmm. which is my Lord. Is, is not a errant transliteration of Yahweh. It's a blatant replacement. It's a blatant replacement so, with yes. the same title that God is condemning here as being satanic. Good job, boys. And then afterward, they do not themselves value or follow the way. So God's saying that the rabbis, today's Jewish leaders who claim to be the speaking for God, G-D, and the sages of their people, 
they're hypocrites. They, uh, they're complete frauds. Say one thing, do another. Obviously, this is a broadside against religion with priests, prophets, and shepherds rebelling against and offending Yahweh while speaking on behalf of the Lord. Baal, Satan, acting like hypocrites in the process. They do not know Yahweh, and they're not even looking for him. They don't even know where to look for them. Moreover, rather than prioritizing the Torah, they have superimposed it. Their religious texts now take precedence over Yahweh's guidance. This indictment applies to each of the religions which attempt to derive their legitimacy from the Torah and prophets. Rabbis have replaced the priests and have claimed to be prophets and in the process of shepherding the people have written Yahweh out of their religion, their lives, their culture, their nation. Then they expanded their power by pretending to speak for God while actually serving the Lord and adversary Baal. With their Babylonian Talmud overshadowing Yahweh's Torah, misconstruing and misrepresenting God's testimony, these scoundrels claimed authority that did not belong to them. Complete hypocrites. They fooled Jews, but not God. And although the same accusations could be laid at the feet of Christian pastors and priests, and even recognizing that well, this prophetic book was addressed to Goyim, I think he yeah, was being consistent, using his people's bad behavior to make an example of them. And that really is the story all the way through the Torah and prophets. Israel exists as an example, both good and bad. What happens when you listen to God and what happens when you do not? Not only was Shaul Paul the principal inspiration and author of the Christian New Testament, and he wrote 14 books. He actually wrote at least 15, probably 16. Uh, mm-hmm. Two of them uh, have been lost, no, no great loss there. But Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, uh, was Paul's propagandist. And uh, we'll call him the Homeland Security uh, Department of Disinformation. <laughs> and Very good. it specifically says that uh, Paul had his posse recruit, recruit Mark um, so that he could get Mark to write the gospel according yeah. to, uh, to Paul. And so, mm-hmm. and Matthew was a Paulite. Matthew. Uh, wrote under a pen name somewhere around 90 CE, about 20-some years after Paul's death to advance Pauline Christianity. So those three books, four books, Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, plus the 14 letters uh, that have been retained that Paul wrote, um, all of them collectively comprise 
more than two-thirds of the Christian It's Pauline. It is, uh, the God is Paul. And of course, Paul even admits to being demon-possessed. So, Paul was a failed rabbi. It was the failure of the rabbis that caused the religion to take root in their soil and grow out of God's testimony. Had the rabbis proclaimed Yahweh's name, there would have been no room for a Jesus. Had they acknowledged that Dode was the Messiah and Son of God, the claims made of Christ would have died with him, especially if the rabbis had accepted and acknowledged Yosha as the Passover lamb. Yesterday in Israel, I think there was either four or six Israelis murdered by savage Muslims. A 19-year-old and 20-year-old swinging uh, axes and knives, bludgeoning people to death in the name of of Allah, who is Satan. And they were uh, fathers of, uh, two of them were fathers of six, and another was a father of five. Uh, and so one of the children asked, so where's daddy? And the answer was, he went to get the Messiah, so this doesn't happen anymore. Jews don't know their Messiah. Messiah is not Jesus. He's the Passover lamb. Messiah is Dode. The text clearly identifies his, him as the anointed Messiah, and it clearly identifies him as the one who is returning. And it even tells us when he's going to return. And I'm going to tell you that nobody is going to go get him. You know, I think I've got a pretty decent relationship with Dode. Got a darn good relationship with Yahweh. And it's for darn sure that neither of them are going to listen to me when I, when I say, hey, could you please show up a little early? Things are getting rough around here. No. He's going to show up on Yom Kippur in your 6,000 Yah, sunset in Jerusalem, 6.22 p.m. on what we call October 2nd, 2033. Nothing anybody says or does is going to change that, nor is anyone going to change who the Messiah is. God, we lie to our children. Come on, Israel. Wake up. Well, had the rabbis acknowledged that Dode was the Messiah and the Son of God, there would have been no Jesus Christ. As for Islam, the Quran is the product of rabbinic malfeasance. Rabbis profited by selling their Talmud stories to Muhammad, which he used to make his Quran recitals appear credible. Without these stories, the allure of this authorization to rob and rape the world with Allah's blessing would have been no jihadists, much less millions of them. And then adding insult to injury, there is 
Rabbi Akiba, the founding father of Judaism, with his pronouncement of the false messiah, which precipitated the Roman invasion resulting in the diaspora. It takes a special kind of stupid to venerate such a deplorable fellow. And yet, that is the nature of rabbinic Judaism. It makes smart people dumb. Ultimately, the false prophets, the unauthorized priests, the misleading shepherds, the pastors among Jews have been their own worst enemies. They have created each of the three religions Yahweh is condemning, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Boy, making it sound like the Roman, excuse me, the Russian prime minister, not prime minister, but foreign minister was right. The worst anti-Semite, Akiba, Paul, and Muhammad were all Jews. Duplicity, hypocrisy, abuse. They've all inflicted such hellish conditions on Israel and Yehuda. But be certain of this. While rabbis and those under their spell are continuing to antagonize Yahweh while claiming to serve him, God is cognizant of their master and of their allegiance to the Lord Baal. And he will hold them accountable. This is about as forthright a rebuke of Judaism as we have yet considered. These priests are not Yah's ministers, but instead the Lord's. Now, the last time the world played that game, it was against El Yah. It was 850 to 1, I think was the count. They... Uh, the, uh, those who, uh, who voted in favor of no the other candidate all lost. Uh, no recounting of the ballots. And that is because the Jews have hidden the Torah, even dishonored it. They plaster over it. They put it in a silly dress. They, uh, they kiss it. They offer jibber-jabber to it and then study their Talmud. Or they study the New Testament or Quran. Those who claim to speak for God, who say that they are serving God, even that they are authorized by God, clue who Yahweh is. Those who act as if they are shepherds, guiding, feeding, and protecting the flock, are themselves rebelling and transgressing against the very God they say they represent. They are the wolves. Those who speak in the name of the Lord are doing just that. Satan has advanced his ambition, which is to be worshipped as God. And it is the rabbis who have made this possible. Israel is doing, continuing to honor these buffoons, to pay them, to empower them. It's embarrassing. The Torah is the fulcrum of this proclamation between representing Yahweh or speaking for the Lord. 
The way a person responds to Yahweh's instructions as they are presented in the Torah influences everything else, especially their spiritual associations. In this indictment against religion, uh, there is one additional insight we ought to share before we close. Mm-hmm. Yahweh is expecting us to find him. He is. He's expecting us to come to know him. He's told us that the means to that is by observing his Torah. The religious are working against him. They're seeking to lord over Yahweh's testimony to control the faithful and preclude access to their G-D. The battle between religion and the relationship Yahweh intends has always been a matter of subjugation versus liberation. When you see everyone playing religious dress-up, all the women wearing tents, all the men wearing black hats and mourning clothes, black suits, you're not looking at freedom. You're looking at subjugation. When you see them all bobbing their heads and worshiping in prayer, you're not looking at liberty, but oppression. When people are afraid to speak out, when the leaders are afraid to give access to information to people, you're not looking at deliverance. You're looking at enslavement. When your country has a department of disinformation, when they declare war against a country that could destroy the world a hundred times over on behalf of the most undeserving country in the world, you've got a serious problem. It's all about control, about misinformation, about the empowerment of the few over the many. The battle between religion and relationship has always been a matter of subjugation versus liberation. And where there is oppression, there is a Lord lurking behind the scenes. Well said. Well said, my friend. So there we are, folks. And uh, we enjoyed being with you uh, this evening, particularly uh, speaking to those and the United Kingdom, which is where uh, we reached out, I think it's via Twitter. And I'm so delighted that um, that Elon Musk was able to buy Twitter. It's not because of anything about Elon Musk other than he is an advocate of free speech. And free speech is something that Yahweh cares deeply about. He wants you to know him as he revealed himself. And he doesn't want anyone getting in the way of what he had to say, corrupting it, twisting it. He wants people to be free, to know him, and to choose him. And so while I'm not a fan of social media, I must say that I am delighted that we have those in the Covenant family that know how to use it, to reach out through it, and to reach Yahweh's estranged and wayward family so that more Jews might come home. Well, may God bless uh, Kirk. I look forward to being with you this time yes, next sir. week. 
And my, may uh, bless you all. I look forward to uh, this time next week. Shabbat shalom to everyone. Shabbat shalom. Good night.